Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the I Can Do podcast with Benjamin Lee. We're here to talk about tips and strategies to have an I Can Do mindset. Life is what you put into it. Get the most you can. Here's your host, Benjamin Lee. Hello and welcome to a new episode of I Can Do. I am Benjamin Lee. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have another special guest on the show, Jarrett Bowman. Jarrett Bowman is a great friend of mine, and he's just doing so many great things for the kingdom of God. Let me tell you a little bit more about who Jarrett is. Jarrett Bowman is a an evangelist, author, blogger, podcaster, and YouTube personality. As a preacher for over 25 years, Jarrett has preached for congregations in Texas, before making his home in the Pacific Northwest in 2020. He currently hosts the YouTube program, Biblically Speaking, which focuses on making difficult Bible concepts simple and providing evidence for faith, and a new podcast called Man Up that focuses on helping Christian men rise to their potential. Jared knows that his wife, Lauren, and his son, Will, that they are essential to his kingdom work. I know he loves them very much, and they are essential to his kingdom work, to his daily life, uh, and he counts them as tremendous blessings from God. Jared is a great friend of mine, and I love him very much. You're going to learn so much about who he is, uh, some of his background, some of the life lessons that he's learned as a man uh, growing up with his father, and lessons that you can implement in your life as we think about this idea of really manning up, of what it means to be a Christian man and a father, and how we can help uh, shape our children to become followers of Jesus Christ. So I know you will enjoy this episode. Here we go. Jarrett, welcome to the show. How are you, bro? I'm doing well, buddy. How about you? I'm doing great. It's great to see your face again. It's been uh, how many months? Uh, Three or four months now since I was out there Hanging out with you in uh, oh, Oregon. Than that, actually, it's coming coming up on uh, six months. So, is it has it been six yeah, months? Because I came out in uh, September, right. right? So, yeah, October, November. Wow, that's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, Jared and I really excited to have Jared on the show. Jared and I go way back to uh, Beaumont, Texas, and Centerville, Texas. I can't remember. Do you remember when, when we first met? Did you reach out to me, or well, where did where did we? We first had been meet? Facebook friends for a long time before that, but we met when I reached out to you. It was uh, during one of those unfortunate events. It was uh, a lot of racial tension a couple of years ago in our country over over one of the killings, and and I reached out to you and asked you if you would come and talk about racism in kind of a forum with me, and then preach a series of lessons for us. For so yeah. and we, you and I went and canvassed the neighborhoods. Walking around, it was not. It was it was a Texas. I want to say September when we did that. So, yeah, uh, I was pretty ripe by the time we got done. It was hot and sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> now I do remember. Um, you know, one of the things I remember most about that, like as soon as I got there, I was thinking that we were going to take maybe an hour or two off. But you're like, no. All right, here are the flyers, and uh, we're just going to get right after yeah. it. So. That was one of the big things that stood out to me was you were just, you were ready to rock and roll and get after mm-hmm. it, man. Well, it, it was nothing like that had ever been done in Centerville before. It, it was, it was a community that had uh, a lot of division in it historically. And I knew that getting that started yeah. right off the bat was going to be important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things that I know about Jared, and before we dive into a little bit more about who you are and your new podcast uh, man up. Um, I have to ask the question, Jarrett, um, how much coffee have you had this morning? Now, Jarrett is a huge coffee fan. And while I was there, he's, he's an expert at, look, he's an expert at making coffee. 
you need to write a book about coffee or well, something Mark like that because he has this whole. No, 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 no. You, you know, there's a part for you to do here as well. So please tell us first. Tell us what kind of coffee do you like to drink, and uh, how do you make it, and how many have you had? How many cups have you had? Well, today? Lauren and I only drink imported coffee from the great state of Texas. <laughs> this is uh, this is my biblically speaking mug. This is Jet Fuel. It's actually a Costa Rican blend from a company called Independence Coffee, and they're in Brenham, Texas. Favorite. It, it sounds like it would be really bitter, and the coffee was actually kind of a joke that they. The guy who started Independence Coffee had some friends that worked for Continental Airlines. I'm I'm as big an evangelist for Independence Coffee as I am for the Bible, it feels like some days. <laughs> but he had some friends that worked for the old Continental Airlines, and they were complaining about how there's not really much to do when you're flying a plane in the days of autopilot. And so, but they didn't want to drink a lot of coffee because it'd make them sick at their stomachs. So they created this blend called Jet Fuel uh, that was easy to drink and highly caffeinated. But this is only my... Uh, second cup of coffee today and the first one was at a, oh. at a men's breakfast that i went to and was terrible so this is the first good <laughs> cup of coffee that i've had today very nice very nice yeah that was one of the cool things seeing jared in the in the kitchen making the coffee each morning and uh it's uh he's got it down so it's good coffee and it'll definitely get you going well tell our audience jared uh i know a lot about mm -hmm. you uh, but tell our audience maybe three to five minutes uh, you're in Oregon right now. You mentioned being an evangelist. You love coffee. You're a family man. But tell us this journey. How did you get started into preaching full time and uh, and this passion about what you're doing right now? <laughs> How I got started preaching full time, I had always wanted to be a preacher. And I took a test in junior high. It was kind of like the pre, I think they call it the ASVAB test, or they used to, that told you what branch of the military you needed to go into. And it was kind of the pre-version of that, if you will. And uh, and I knew when I took this test, it's going to say preacher, preacher, preacher. And it said scientist. And so mm. I I was kind of heartsick about that. I talked to my dad about it. He's like, dude, it was just a test. I mean, look at the questions you answered. Do you want to, which would you rather do, learn a new subject or attend a bake sale? You know, organize a school dance yeah. or a garage sale. It's like, that's not... Well, let, let me stop you right there before you go uh -huh. any further. You said you knew that it was going to say preacher, preacher, right. preacher. Why did you know? Why were you thinking that it was going to say preacher, preacher, that's preacher? That's all I ever wanted to be. Mm. Okay. But no, I mean, that's all, that's all I ever wanted to be. And I really thought that was the direction my life was going to be on. And then that didn't happen. And I'm like, okay, well, what do I do now? And my dad was patient with me that, uh, I got it in my head I was going to be a child psychologist and went to a lot of school for that. And then I found out there, at least the early courses in it, I think there's a lot of merit to it once you get beyond the early courses, but the early childhood development courses, there's a lot of stuff I didn't agree with. So I went into sales and and then I hadn't been in sales very long when a congregation in Mahia, Texas, not far from where you're actually about a hundred miles from where you're preaching or so, but uh I went and preached for them every other Sunday, and then they hired a full-time evangelist who who really needed the work, and I didn't, and so I was let go from that, and it was maybe two Sundays before a congregation on the far east side of Houston asked me if I, they were on the verge of folding up, and they're still going to this day, to their credit, but they were on the verge of folding up, and I went and preached for them, and I thought it was going to be a few weeks, it ended up being 13 years. And I was doing full-time wow. evangelist work and working full-time. I knew I, I knew that couldn't continue, that Lauren and I had to get serious about adopting, and, and that was going to be more strain than I could really, I could put on doing both of those. So I folded up the evangelist role for a couple of years and went and played backstop for Tony Mock at Decker Prairie when he was out of town. So I guess I really didn't fold it up, but I was teaching Bible classes every quarter, and you can't get it out of your blood when you love it. And then I moved to Centerville, Texas and folded up the secular career as soon as I was able to and uh, and was there for almost eight years. And I've been up here for a year and a half. So that's the nice. journey. It, yeah. was, it was always kind of meant to be. I just took me a little time to figure out how to get there. When did you know that you wanted to preach? Uh, you mentioned that this is just all I wanted mm -hmm. to do. You have this fire you know, and your bones of preaching. When did you know? How old were you and, and how did you get to that point? And this is an embarrassing story. I, I was uh, pre-kindergarten. I would come home. Yeah, really? I would come home and I would drag out all my stuffed animals when we got home from church. 
I would pull the bench away from the piano that my mom's parents had had given her when she was a kid. I I never incorporated the piano because instrumental music was was you know not okay. So, but the, <laughs> I needed a pulpit, and I would lead singing for my bears and giraffes and things like that. I think there was I think ET attended worship service more than once. And, uh, that is and then I would that. mimic the points that D made, but there was something uh, about D Bowman that just resonated with me. Um, I am an extreme introvert, but I love people. I'm one mm. of those introverts that loves people. It's, it's very strange when you find one, I, I, people are draining to me, but I love them and I want to be around them. And so please don't think I don't like you, <laughs> but, but at the end of being around people, I need to recharge. I need to go to a place where I can, I can be by myself for a little while and sort of recharge. And Lauren knows that, but Lauren also pushes me out of my comfort zone to extend those times that I, that between the recharges where I'm around people and, and doing what needs to be done. And I love people and preaching is about the people. And I knew that at a young age, I couldn't articulate it that way, but you know, I was always waiting for the bear to come forward at the end of the sermon, but he was always waffling on the pew. But, uh, <laughs> but preaching's about the people, and I love people, and I always have loved people, even as an introvert. I love people, and I think that's one of the things that when somebody tells you that they're an introvert, that they sometimes, oh, well, you just don't like people. That's not true. Introverts, a lot of times, yeah. they love people. But being around them is emotionally exhausted because we're always worried about saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing or being misinterpreted or misunderstood. Whereas extroverts are like, eh, if I break something, we'll fix it. <laughs> and having that, I think that's, that's right. more. And if I say something and it breaks, then then I'll fix it. And she has been, honestly been so good for me. Um, that she is the perfect helpmeet for me and in way more ways than I knew when I married her. Yeah, no, that's an awesome story. And I love, there's a young boy um, at, at the congregation where I was at in Southeast Texas and his mom sometimes will post photos even today. <clears throat> I don't know how old he is right now, but uh, he has a little podium and uh, and he does I a sermon it. and they record it. And I don't know if he has like his teddy bears and things like that out, but I think that's really good. So if I'm hearing you correctly, then Jared, uh, D. Bowman, and for those who don't know, D. Bowman uh, was a gospel preacher for a number of decades, had such a tremendous influence and impact in the hearts of so many people. So Dee really, really planted this seed, so to speak, or got you interested in getting into preaching, Absolutely. right? And just, just yeah. wanting to, to love the most important part of people, even at a young age before I could articulate it. And, you know, I would go home and, and try to speak with the kind of passion and the kind of love again, to my, to my stuffed animals that he brought to the people. <laughs> I, I called it churching. But, uh, but that, that's how it started. I mean, it, it's a cute story, but it, it was very formative for me that it, it, it yeah. really built me into the man that I am today. Yeah. And that says something too, about, I think the impact as we talk a little bit more on the show today about family, I know you're a big family yeah. man. So am I, uh, we're trying to be the best men that we can be, but what you're saying is I think really important as you think about the influence of being consistent in our worship services, yeah. right? So your parents definitely had an impact in, you know, attending worship services. Some of the averages out there, and it may be more so with denominations, but we see it today in, in a number of churches as well. A lot of people are not attending worship services on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And this kind of story, I think, really drives home that impact of the need for fathers to be in the picture. Yeah. And for young children to understand, no, this is where we're going to be each first day of the week because we, you know, obviously we want to do it to worship God. Uh, there's an expectation there, but just seeing long term this benefit that came from, you know, from you and mm -hmm. your life at such a, such a young age, I think is a powerful point to be said. Yeah, there was a study recently done by the Barnum. I say recently, it's been the last five years by the Barnum Group, um, and I, I think it was the Barnum Group that did it that they were talking about the biggest influences on how children uh, continue in the faith. And the number one is how involved is dad in their life, particularly their spiritual development. And if, if dad was involved, if both parents were involved, then it was something like 80% to 90% were going to continue in that path. That if dad was involved and mom wasn't, then it was 75%. 
But if dad was not involved and mom was, then it fell below 50%. And if neither parent was in, was was really inclined to be at the worship services or involved in any kind of spiritual teaching, it fell below 25% very quickly. Mm. And that and that's eye-opening to me. And one of the things that, that really set this course for me was my dad. My dad, when I was young, was a shift worker. And that meant that there were some worship services that he could not be at because he was scheduled to be at the plant. But one thing I never saw my dad do was picking up extra shifts that would have conflicted with being at, at worship services or going home and sleeping, even though he was dead tired from working the night before, if going home and sleeping meant he wouldn't be at the worship services with his family. Now, we may sprint home right after church was over so he could go to sleep and get four or five hours of sleep before he had to get back up and do it again. But I saw that in my dad. And, you know, there were a lot of other dads who who were the fathers of people in the world, in some cases, the fathers of people that we worshiped with who would pick up those extra shifts. And it was allegedly, you know, to do it for their family. But what you see in a lot of cases is that the children didn't stay faithful because what dad was showing them was the, the picking up of the extra shift at the plant was more important than, than making sure that his, it's not just about getting him to worship service. It's seeing the influence that that's important and showing their kids yep. that. Can you share with us any other things that your dad did? Obviously, attending worship services, so he's practicing what he preached. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea, and I think you made a, that's a very important point of he managed his time with right. work. And that's one of the biggest challenges of he didn't take a lot of those extra hours that he mm-hmm. could have. How else was he able to influence you? You're an excellent student of the Bible. Um, did that come from dad? Did that come from it mom? It came from uh, what other things did he do to It came from both you? of them. Uh, my dad, probably more so than my mom, not because she's not an excellent student, but because I developed most of most of the way that I look at things academically, I developed because I wanted to be like my dad, that I was gotcha. always wanting to form a deep relationship with him. And, and honestly, and this, this makes me sound really bad, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I didn't realize how deep the relationship with my dad was until he showed me that all of my brothers, I, I talked about this on Kenny Embry's podcast, balancing the Christian life. Great podcast, but you've been on there. That's a great podcast, by the way. I just, mm-hmm. but um, all of my brothers and I have three are like my dad in one really amazing way. They all have a lot of dexterity in their hands and can do anything manual or physical that you put in front of them. Jason is over 50 and he can reach blindly up into an engine and turn a bolt because he knows where it's at mentally and knows how to get his fingers there. I mean, there's all kind of a sharp stuff around, you know, you know, cast metal and things like that. That'll cut you aluminum. A lot of the blocks are made out of now, but Jason can do that and turn a bolt and not think twice about it and not ever lose his finger grip to like, I can't tell if I'm turning right or left unless I'm looking at my hand because I just, I'm, I'm not coordinated. Justin, uh, my younger brother, is probably the preeminent guitarist that I have ever known who has not been signed mm. to a record label. And, he, and in my opinion, he's better than a lot of guys that have been signed to record labels. I mean, he can pick up a riff and create 15 new riffs out of some riff that he's heard once. And, and he's written music. He and I used to write songs together when we were teenagers and I taught Justin to play guitar, but he surpassed me in about three weeks. And, you know, I taught him how to play chords and Justin's like, Hey, have you ever heard of this chord? I'm like, yeah, but I can't do it. And he's like, Oh, here's how you do it. And it was three weeks after he picked up a guitar. I'm like, you dork. But, uh, but, (laughs) but he owns a home theater company and he's doing gangbuster business, um, in this home theater company in, in the Woodlands, Texas, and he's got people all over the country, you know, calling him to come out and build these million dollar man cave kind of things. And he goes and does it because he's got that dexterity. My youngest brother, Jordan, is just like them. I didn't have anything like that with my dad. I'm the klutz of the family. Mm. Um, my, if you ask me to play basketball, I'm going to do a face plant because my right foot doesn't know what my left foot's doing. And I was always jealous of that because that, a lot of our, a lot of our time as kids, was spent helping dad work on cars because dad would would sometimes help other people with their cars. He would keep our own cars up. And 
my job was the tool hander. You did not let Jared turn a wrench. Jared would drop a bolt <laughs> or the wrench or the bolt and the wrench and a screwdriver you didn't even know he had into the engine if you let him turn a bolt. So I was the guy who they had to describe a tool to, and I would go in the garage and find it. And mm. I would find four examples of what they were talking about, and it would be the fifth one before I got it right. Right. That sounds like me too. But my dad finally realized that even though he knew we had a connection, I didn't. And so for that, I didn't know we had a deep connection because my dad and I connect on a cerebral level. That's not saying my other brothers don't. My other brothers are incredibly intelligent, but my dad and I connected and bonded on that level. I didn't see the bond. And so when I got out of high school and for graduation, my dad says, what do you want? Do you want a new car? Do you want to go somewhere? What do you want? And being the geek and the dork that I was, I wanted a computer and computers were not cheap then. But my dad went out and bought me a computer, but he did more than that. He had bought the family a computer a couple of years before, but he went out and bought his own computer. And together we upgraded those computers, learning what every part does, installing the operating system. And we had some very important conversations over the cerebral thing of, of building this computer. We, then I began to realize, mm. think about how many times you and dad have talked about the Bible or think about how many times you and dad have talked about this book. And, and there's been several other bonding mm. points. Like we read the Harry Potter novels together and we would go get them at midnight when they were released and we would blow through them as fast as we would, as we could. So we could talk about them at the end. And mm -hmm. yeah, that's how I bond with my dad. And so that's, that's where a lot of my biblical training came from. My mom is an excellent Bible student. She and he have yeah. brought, brought several people to the Lord. But I think my way of looking at a text and analyzing a text really comes from my dad. No, that's fantastic. And I really appreciate you uh, being vulnerable and, and sharing a lot of things with that. And something that stands out to me, Jared, with what you were saying is the idea of talking and how, you know, we, we often talk about we need to spend, uh, um, you know, time together. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the quantity is important, but also the, the quality is important as well. And there's a lot of different ways that that can happen. So I love hearing the idea or the fact that you can still have this bonding time, mm -hmm. putting a car together or an engine or a computer mm -hmm. or Harry Potter books. There's a lot of different things. One of the things that Joshua and I like to do, uh, he's really into football. He wants to be a, a NFL football wow. player. Uh, so he's got, yeah, he's got some footballs. And uh, so we've been throwing the Nerf ball. My dad wasn't around growing up for the most uh -huh. part. But it was something my mom and I used to do a lot. We just have a tennis ball and, you know, we just play yeah. catch, you know, in the house. But that was an opportunity to really talk and to share different feelings or struggles or challenges. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of young people, that's really, I think, what every young person wants. They, 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 they need to know that their father sees mm -hmm. them, that their father cares about them, that their father loves them. And those conversations and that training, and it's interesting where it doesn't have to always be like this rigid schedule, right. but it's just kind of like a natural process, you know, of the Harry Potter mm -hmm. books. Well, you can connect in a lot of different ways, but it's still being available to to. Yeah, connect. Will and I bond over a lot of things, but one of the primary ones right now is the Lego games on the Switch. That he, you know, he wants mm -hmm. to go get every accomplishment in every Lego game. And so I'll take a couple hours a day to sit down with him. And that's quality time for he and I, because we're having conversations the whole time, you know, which is the best dinosaur yeah. in Lego Jurassic World is the one he's doing right now. But that, oh, if we go get this mini mm. kit, dad, we get the T-Rex skeleton and then it'll be a skeleton running around Jurassic <laughs> Park. I'm like, that's awesome. Let's go do it. And, and but it gives me time to talk about. By the way, did you see the new preview for uh, Jurassic no, World? No, I haven't. I, I haven't yet. I've been, I've been uh thinking of, or not thinking about it. I've been intending to watch it but I haven't gotten around to it yet I need yeah. to yeah it's pretty epic well let's talk a little bit about your sure. podcast um man Absolutely. up um you and I I don't know if we talked about this when I was there but it may have been afterwards but tell us a little bit about this podcast how did it come to be what is your main objective? What are you trying to accomplish uh, with this podcast? Oh, those are th those are really great questions. It, it came to be from a couple of different sources. I started a it started as a Facebook Live series called Biblically Speaking a couple of years ago, and that was a terrible idea. I, sh I should have started it on YouTube because I lost half, over half my audience when I moved to YouTube. But Facebook was so frustrating and, and with getting things delivered on time that it was just not conducive to working. I mean, you remember some of those struggles. So about 
six months ago, eight months ago, I moved it to YouTube and started biblically speaking. Well, I really wanted to start doing a podcast because people can't watch YouTube and drive. And so YouTube is connecting with people after work or before work while they're having coffee or on the weekends, but it's not drive time. And for me, drive time was always kind of a weakness. I mean, you know my story with politics that I had to, I quit politics cold cold turkey, talk radio, everything about 10 years ago because it was making me, I would preach about loving my neighbor and hate the guy in front of me because he had the wrong bumper stickers on his car. So that was a big deal for me. And I could see it, I could see the same influences eating into the lives of my brethren. And I wanted to do something that would be drive time or maybe drive time and a little longer that would be spiritually uplifting to them. So I started a podcast called A Journey Into the Word. And I just knew it was going to take off. And I did four episodes and it was really just white noise. And the fourth episode I did was a two-parter that I never released the second part of because the audio on it was so bad. The guest uh, was a guy, a friend of mine named David Osteen, and he was calling in from Centerville, and the audio was going up and down. And I just thought, this is a sign. This This podcast is never going anywhere. It's not focused. So I started praying about it, and I started thinking about it, and I thought, what what needs to happen? And this was just after just after you left uh, for the your meeting down here when I was thinking about folding that up. In fact, you were on the first or the second of the Journey into the Word podcast. But I thought, what who can I help that I am in a place to help? Because it's not about my ego and getting it out there. And it's while it would be nice, it would be nice if there was some financial incentive tied to it. It's not about financial incentive right now. It's who can I help that needs to be helped? And I thought men, because I looked at the podcast space and there's not a lot of podcasts out there that are biblically based, that the information is good, that are geared toward making men or helping men reach their spiritual potential. And I'd already gotten really comfortable talking to people with biblically speaking. And biblically speaking had already become more than a sermon a week. It was it was no longer a sermon. It was mm-hmm. taking hard biblical passages and making them simple. And right now we're doing evidences in biblically speaking. So we're talking about DNA and dinosaurs. And the, it's kind of two weeks between episodes right now because I have to learn all the science behind it and then the Bible passages too. But man up... I was already so comfortable talking to people because of that, that I just jumped in with both feet. I thought, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the guy that that steps in and talks to men. And it's not going to be, you know, men good, women bad, emotions bad. (laughs) It's going to be, it's going to be talking to men like they're my friends. We are brothers in arms. We are comrades. We fight shoulder to shoulder and side by side, mile after mile, yard after yard, hand over hand. Because each of us is going to help the other attain that crown that Jesus is going to give us. And I, I say that at the beginning of every podcast, but dude, I believe it. That it is written in my DNA to help people reach their spiritual potential. And right now, men are lost because we have lost the ability to communicate with one another. And Kenny Embry was talking about this on the podcast that I was on with him. His podcast, not not the one that hasn't dropped that I did on mine. Tell us the name of his Balancing podcast. Balancing a Christian Life. It's a great podcast. Uh, it's just, I mean, he's he he talks with people and people will open up to Kenny. In fact, I mentioned this to him when he was on mine, that the topics are kind of the backdrop for the guest and not the other way around. That people learn more from the guest that he has on his show than the topic that they're talking about. Because that's where the that's where the the helpful tips come in. You you mentioned that in the the pre show we were doing that you really want to get some helpful tips out. One of the helpful tips is you have to know that men bond around doing things. But if we're just doing things, then we might create friendships. But if we're going to help each other. We have to develop the conversation and the language associated with things like love and joy and grief. And until we develop those things, we're not going to have the important conversations. But we're also not going to have them until we're doing things together. So I really want Man Up, when somebody comes and they they listen to the program, I want them to feel like we're doing something together. We're helping each other. And that's the reason why I wrap it in kind of the the military shtick. 
that uh, that I kind of <laughs> cut down on some of that because because it was a little distracting. I think uh, from time to time, so I, I kind of dialed some of that back. And like the episode I did with Matt Bassford yeah. that dropped yesterday, I, I didn't put any of that in other than the intro and the outro because Matt was so vulnerable in that discussion. Even though it wasn't about his struggle, we were talking about him writing and and becoming the servants of the people that are around us. He talked about his struggles with ALS, and and I just it felt like it was going to be a detraction from the beauty of the conversation that we had. And I, I really think it's the best episode that I've done. And it's not me, it's Matt. And it was just so wonderful. But the the reason for doing it the way that I do it is there's really three metaphors that you see in the Bible over and over again to talk about the Christian life. There's the agrarian too. There's the sowing and reaping and the sheep and shepherd, right? And then you've got the metaphor of the soldier. What's interesting is we want to apply the soldier to how we engage with people in the denominational world. You know, we are soldiers for Christ. But you look at how that metaphor for soldier is used. It's not about going out there and slaying denominations. It's about slaying what's inside me that the devil's trying to get to grow and winning that spiritual battle. And that's where the focus of man up is, that I can be a better father. I can be a better husband. I can be a better leader. I can be a better follower of Jesus, but I've got to kill something within me to reach that next potential, That's th- that next level of potential that's out there. What are some things um, that you feel like um, that maybe at, at the top of the list with men uh, that need to be slayed or killed uh, in our hearts? What are some of those things that you've seen or have talked about or things that um, that need to, to be addressed? I, I would say at the top of the list is probably pride. Um, pride doesn't take the form that we think it does. We often think of pride as, as ego or even arrogance. But pride is really the mask that we put on top of vulnerability so that people don't see what's underneath. They don't see the fear. They don't see the worry. They don't see the stress because, you know, I'm, I'm a Western man. I, I can do whatever I need to do. I built myself. No, you didn't. We all are who we are if we are Christians by the grace of God. And if you don't have that vulnerability, and it's not just about let me show you my wounds so you can help. Sometimes it's let me show you my wounds so I can help you. And if Mm. you don't have that vulnerability, then you don't have connection. And and that's what Paul is talking about in Galatians 6, when he says that if any of you is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And what, what Paul does there is he says, Jesus says, you look at your brother, and I'm paraphrasing, and you see his burden And when he's stumbling underneath his burden, it becomes your burden. And each of you is supposed to bear your own load, which may be at times your brother's load because he doesn't have the wherewithal to do it. But you're not going to get there by saying, and Chris Emerson made this point on my podcast a few weeks ago. He says, he says, you know, when elders talk with people, one of the things that, that can be really hurtful is when you say, you know what, you need to do better. If you're looking at a guy and he's struggling and he's he's he feels his kids drifting away and his marriage is on the rocks and all of those things and you just tell him you need to do better, he's going to say, "Yeah, I know. I just don't know how." Saying you need to do better is easy, but help, but getting your hands in the dirt and helping is love. And until Mm. you get to that level of vulnerability, you're not helping anybody, including yourself, achieve the calling of Jesus. So how do we help young, young men? You know, both you and I have uh, boys uh, and we want them to become uh, disciples of Jesus Christ. How do we help them with this, with uh, the vulnerability, with the understanding that they need other people you know, for me growing up, my dad wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So I was surrounded by women, which was fine. Uh, my mom, my grandmother, my sister. Uh, I think, uh, you know, this mindset that I had of I'll figure it out myself or I'll do it myself right. has been good. But at times that can also be challenging sure. too. Um, so how do we help our, our children, uh, our, our young men to develop this kind of attitude or disposition that you're talking about? Well, there's a balance. I mean, we definitely want our kids to be self-sufficient. We, we want them to, to be able to look at a situation and say, this is the right thing. This is the wrong thing. And I'm going to do the right thing. 
but we also don't want to teach self-sufficiency at the expense of love. And and you you can lean mm. on me. And, and part of that is is the maturity of being a parent. You have to stop and think about, okay, what lesson do I want? You know, I'm putting myself in your shoes. What lesson do I want Josh to walk away from at this point? Is it, hey, you needed to do this yourself or, hey, Somebody that loves the way that they love is going to show you, yeah, you should have done better, but here's how we're going to clean it up and fix it. And sometimes it is the former lesson. Maybe when there's been a repeat offense, okay, you know what you need to do to take care of this. And if it gets too far over your head, then I'll come help you because I got your back. But some more often than we would think, it probably needs to be the former. That mm-hmm. and And that goes for being a preacher. I mean, when somebody's... You got a guy that comes up to you, and and I use this example a lot because it's becoming more and more prevalent, and says, you know, I'm struggling with pornography. You know, the 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 reaction of most people in the congregation is going to be, <gasps> well, yeah, he's struggling with pornography, but I would bet twenty to thirty percent of the people, men and women, in the congregation probably are as well. They just don't put it out there. You know, I, I've seen situations right. where, you know, unfortunately, and this one this one makes me so sad, but. Young ladies who thought they were in love, they sent pictures, inappropriate pictures, to a young boy, and they've gotten out. And I've seen that happen more times than than I care to remember or heard about it happening. I haven't seen the pictures, but uh, I want to be clear about that. But I've, I've seen the story unfold. And from that point on, it's almost like she's walking around with a scarlet letter. And Kenny Embry said something when he was on my podcast the other day, and that episode's not going to drop till next week. But he said, one of the things that I teach my kids is, is how to find out who's in your corner. The person who comes with blame and doesn't offer help, they're not in your corner. The person who comes to you and says, look, I know this isn't good. I'm not going to tell you it is good, but how can I help? Not how can I help, but this is what I want to do to help. Something. You know, how can I help shifts the burden to the other person? you got to figure out what you need and then tell me. But this is what I'm willing to do to help you. Will it help? That person's in your corner. And our young people are not little adults. They are, and, But they're not blank slates either. I think that's kind of the myth that your child is a blank slate. They're not. That There are things that are written by nature, and there are things that are written by nurture before you even know you're writing things on their heart. And I remember when Will was little, I would be working in the kitchen and with, you know, doing something, doing something related to housework that because Lauren uh, might have been off at a ladies function because she was in Centerville. She was always all over the place helping people. So a lot of times I would take, she always felt like the house was kind of her responsibility and I would be the backstop for her. I would go do, you know, the other things around the house that weren't right under her feet. But some days I would take on something that she really felt like was her burden because she was doing kingdom work. I mean, she was going out and helping a brother or sister or a sister in Christ. And I remember there were, there were times when I would be working on something in the kitchen, maybe putting out the dishes or something. And and Will would come tug on my pants leg and he would look at me with these very, couldn't communicate yet, but it would be, okay. I'm like, no. Okay. Cause I don't understand what means. It's usually, you know, Hey, I want to watch this episode of Thomas or the batteries fell out of lightning McQueen. But he would come to me to resolve the problem. And because we spoke to him, he would try to, he wouldn't, he wouldn't squall or cry about it. He would come to us and speak to us about the problem. And it was frustrating because he couldn't speak, (laughs) but, but he would quickly learn from that, that you can talk through a problem with dad, or you can talk through a problem with mom because it wasn't just me that he did it to. And you're writing things on your children's heart before you know it. So when you grumble and when you complain or when you're frustrated, and, and that's my big one is I get, I have this, this negative dialogue. It's part of why I do man up. I have negative dialogue in my head all the time. I've, I'm always, hmm. the, that's probably the number one avenue the devil tries to work on me with is discouragement. And I, I realized the other day hearing one of his conversations, how much of my negative dialogue escapes my ears and I've started venting it to the outside world. And I said, I said, and this is to me, not him. I'm like, whoa, buddy, you got to stop that. Because he's already started the process mm. of writing that on his heart. And I think mm. that goes back to the example of my dad. That my dad, and I don't know whether he knew it mentally or just intuitively, if it was a cognitive thought or just an intuition, but he could see that I was struggling to define the relationship that I had with him. Even though I knew he loved me and he knew I loved him, 
And he made the way to define that relationship. So you know what? I don't find Lego video games on the Nintendo Switch very engaging. I don't find them a lot of fun. I'm not going to play them by myself. But I will meet him on that level because that's where he's at. And I would say to your to the parents, I mean, this is, you know, pro tip as I guess I can't be a pro yet because I've only got one kid and he's eight. <laughs> but dad tip from me to you. Don't push the video games into the room because they annoy you when they're on the television. Pick up the controller. Find out what they're consuming. Set some limits on what they're consuming. and But enjoy the journey with them because that's where the life-building moments for your kid may be happening. And you're not part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've said so many great things, Jared. And uh, I was going to talk to you, too, about electronics. And you kind of touched on that. And I appreciate your vulnerability talking a little bit about your discouragement as well. I liked what you said too about how the things that are in our minds, if not careful, can begin to seep out, right, into our language, into our life and our children. They may not even say it, but they they naturally pick Mm -hmm. it up. And so this idea of what we're imprinting or how they're picking up on cues and things like that. Let's talk about that a little bit more with discouragement. And you don't necessarily have to Talk about your discouragement, mm-hmm. but there are men who can find themselves discouraged. Um, you know, the the pandemic is still going on. Uh, you've had people on your podcast who have, um, uh, you know, diseases that are eventually going to take their life, their lives. You know, there's a lot of reasons sometimes where men can be discouraged. Maybe they're working too much. Maybe they know that they are not as connected to their family, but they're still trying to navigate. Okay, how do I do that? Or maybe they're seeing. Okay, well. Maybe I'm running out of time. You know, there's also that danger as well, mm-hmm. where eventually we run out of this time where our kids are in our homes yeah. to make, you know, to make sure that we develop that. So what would you say to the men out there who are listening um, who may find themselves discouraged? And what would you want their wives to know as well um, that when they do see their husbands in these periods or moments of discouragement? how to navigate that. Too. I would tell the wonderful host of this podcast to have Chris Emerson on because he has some great takes on that, <laughs> but, but, um, baby steps. I mean, you're right. Our kids are only with us for a few years. I mean, I blinked and Will's eight years old. I don't know where that time went. I know we went to Disneyland a couple of times in that time. I know I changed a lot of diapers. I know that, uh, I know that he's really timid and doesn't want to learn to ride a bicycle, but needs to. But I also know he's really brave about other things that he will jump on a motorized scooter that goes, you know, 15 miles an hour. And he goes, oh, dad, do I need to be wearing my helmet? Yes. Yes, you do. Um, but discouragement happens when we look at a situation that we've allowed to get out of control. And we don't see that our God is really big enough to handle it. That the prodigal son was as far from his father as he ever could be. Here's a, I'm assuming Jewish boy, since Jesus is teaching the parable, and he's fighting with pigs over what they're eating. But he knew one thing that even if he had to come back as his father's lowest servant, his father would take him home. And even yeah. if it meant waiting tables in his dad's house for the rest of his life, but that's not how his father received him. And I mean, the point of the parable is really the contrast. It's not about the son at all. It's the contrast between the father and the older brother. Because the older brother gives out justice. The father gives out mercy. Hmm. And there is always mercy to those who turn to God. So my first, my first, probably somewhat hypocritical answer, because in the middle of discouragement, it's awfully hard to remember to pray. But, but my first answer on discouragement is pray. And if somebody okay. comes up to me and says, I'm discouraged about this, or I'm struggling with this, or, you know, God forbid something's happened in somebody's life like adultery. You know, the big things, not the tiny little things like, oh, a bill slipped past and, and now my credit score went down or something like that. That, that it, Not the tiny things, but the big things are often where we just completely leave God out of the situation. And I'll ask people, and, and Chris gave me a third one to ask the other day, but I'll ask them, how's your prayer life? And what have you been reading? And and Chris gave me one the other day that I think really needs to enter into the conversation, and that is, tell me what you believe about Jesus. Is he your Savior or is he not? And 
honestly, we get discouraged because the problem seems big. And I don't know how far away the prodigal son was from his father, but I do know that the way home began with a step. The way to being a better father. Yeah, you've got, you're, you're a father and your kids are in their teenage years. You absolutely, I totally agree with you. You blew the formative years. It's going to be hard. But that conversation leaves you with nothing. The conversation that will help you is, I tell you what, why don't you and me and your boy go do something that he really enjoys? Whether it's batting cages, I'm terrible. You can laugh at the preacher in the batting cage. That (laughs) sitting down playing video games, great. Let's get a LAN party together at my house. Or let's play some tabletop games. Let's build something. But you know what? You're not going to turn him into an ardent believer of Jesus tomorrow. But if he sees his dad turning, the boy's going to want to know why. Or the daughter's going to want to know why. And the answer to discouragement is not, it's a journey of a thousand miles. The answer to discouragement is, I can take the next step that's in the right direction. Yeah, no, that's really powerful. Take the step. You can take the next step uh, in the right direction. And again, you're touching on what our children see in us. So helping our children to see, yeah, there will be these highs and lows. I love what you said about uh, the prodigal son story in Luke chapter 15, the idea of mercy and justice. And I think that's something very important for men to hear that. There's a lot of pressure on men, uh, but for all of us to hear that too. I have a I have a theory, and I was thinking about something. We've mentioned a lot of names mm-hmm. on here. Uh, Matt Basford, he's a brother in Christ. He has ALS. Uh, he's publicly made this known, so I'm not revealing anything that's secret. Um, he had a he had a post about strength and about you know really relying on our own mm-hmm. strength. And I was thinking about this, and I was talking to a brother in Christ yesterday, and I said, you know, I have a theory about this because I'm into fitness. I love to work out and health and things like that. There have been plenty of times where I have fasted for uh, health benefits, but I really started thinking a little bit more about fasting. And one thought that I had was, you know, is there anything on this in the Sermon on the Mount that's optional? No. And so my second thought was, you know, for the most part, that section in Matthew six, when you fast, eh, that's something I kind of just kind of, okay, yeah, you don't have to do it. And, you know, if you want to do it, you can. But after reading Matt's article, one thought that I had, and I'd love to get your perspective, I could be totally wrong and say, dude, you're, you're totally wrong about it. But one thought that I had was, I think fasting is, this, is something that's built in by God that certainly helps us to rely even more upon him and his strength. Now, you get all the benefits from the physical mm-hmm. side, but it really starts off with him, you know, where there is this abstaining, there is this self-control that's being built. There is this uh, reliance upon him and not on us. And I, I, I often I'm wondering a lot more, you know, if that's something we've overlooked. Yes, the prayer is important. That's what Jesus said. When you pray, uh, the reading is important. Uh, Mary has chosen the good part or the good portion sitting at the feet of mm-hmm. Jesus. But I, I, I'm curious your thoughts on the fasting aspect with respect in particular to men, but also to men and women as a, another way to understand this reliance and trust and strength of God and not on ourselves. You know, I haven't thought much about fasting as, as what it did. I know it's good. Um, There was only that I can remember one specific fast that was recorded, you know, as God ordained, you know, God ordered it in the old Testament. Yes. Um, And off the top of my head, I can't think of where that's at, but there were a lot of people who fasted that uh, if I remember right, Nineveh, fasted when they heard the words of Jonah that Jesus fasted when he went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. That wasn't something that was commanded of him, but the lesson Mm -hmm. that, that he taught to us in just when he is alone in the wilderness with just him and Satan is that ultimately his strength was not going to get him through that moment. There are, there are lots of times where our strength is going to fail us. Uh, an elder down here or up here is is burying his mom next week. She died of COVID at a time when not very not a lot of people are still dying of COVID. I mean, we've kind of reached the bottom end of the bell curve, hopefully. She was one of the outliers. 
And it's sobering to think that there's nothing that all of medical science could do for her in a disease that most people are surviving. And it humbles you in a way that maybe we ought to be humbled sometimes. I'm not going to say that the Bible commands Christians to fast because it doesn't. But I think the evidence is there that shows that abstaining, and it's not just from food. That, I mean, Paul talks about uh, abstaining from the sexual relationship in marriage by mutual agreement to draw closer to God in 1 Corinthians 7. There's yeah. lots of things that we can abstain from. And honestly, technology, I think, is one of them. If you want to talk about what really messes with the communication channels between you and God, it's having mm. your Bible on your phone. And I'm not one of those Luddites that's like, oh, Bibles on the phone aren't real Bibles. They are real Bibles. But it takes a <laughs> lot of discipline to stay in God's word when your Bible is on the phone yep. and Facebook and text messages are dropping and, you know, Wordle scores are popping. I don't even play Wordle. You know, I'm a word guy and I don't play Wordle. I, I don't know. I haven't played it either. <laughs> I've, I've thought school. about banning people that do for 30 days just to see if it calms down. <laughs> I'm not against Wordle, but, but it's just like all, play all of a sudden it's like Pokemon Go. All of a sudden it's all over the place. I'm like, what's going on? But uh, I don't know what this is and I don't want to. But those things are dropping in front of you. You know, maybe what if for 30 days your fast looked like this during your time with God? You were going to go get out an old paper Bible. You were going to put your phone in a box where you couldn't see the screen or turn it off because you know what? All those things will be there in an hour. And what if you did that for 30 days? That's a kind of fast. What, what if for yeah. 30 days your phone was only used to send text messages between you and your wife, you and people in the congregation, and to receive phone calls? It wasn't there to... You know, to sit at Chili's or Applebee's because the server's taking too long and veg out while scrolling through Facebook and now Facebook Reels or TikTok or whatever. Mm -hmm. What what if you and your wife made that commitment? And and we're going to work on, for the next 30 days, we're going to work on our relationship with each other. And, and maybe your relationship isn't bad, but maybe you want to reconnect over some things. Maybe you want to find that fire again, but you want it to be holy. You want it to be about putting God back in the center of a growing relationship between you and your wife. I had to tell you, one of the biggest barriers to communication with other people in the room is what you have in your hand that draws your eyes. So maybe, yeah, absolutely. and I think fasting with food is, is also a good idea. There have been times when, uh, well, I'll share this one. I've never shared it before, but I think it's beyond, you know, blowing my own horn at this point because it's so far removed. But about the time that, that Centerville started, uh, the, the church I was working with there started sending money down to congregations that had been hit by the hurricane in Southeast Texas, which is really where you and I kind of cemented our friendship. We did a lot of goofy things together. <laughs> that, uh, That's but, right. uh, when that happened, Lauren and I, we also had some sick brethren in the congregation that were very sick. Uh, one of them almost died because he had an abscess, that he didn't know he even had in his pancreas that uh, was actually killing him. And he just kept blaming it on indigestion and thought it was food poisoning when it finally got bad. And his doctor said, no, I got to put you in the hospital. You're dying. Wow. We fasted several weeks, not, not all week, but we would take two days a week and we would fast. And those days were days that were devoted to prayer. And that fast would start, at the time that dinner ended the day before and would go till it was time for dinner that night. So it, it would be a full 24 hour fast. And I got to tell you, I found more to talk to God about in those moments than mm. I did when I felt like prayer was sufficient. Cause I'll just work it into the next prayer that I have at dinner or before I go to bed. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I it's just, it's something I, I've, I've been pondering, and um, it's a good thing to ponder. I think it's, yeah, and I think it's important. Uh, just a couple of more questions, if that's okay with you. Go for it, my time. Um, you talked about communication, and I want to talk about husbands and wives. Mm -hmm. uh, Valentine's Day is coming mm -hmm. up. Um, it's always a big deal, and I really liked what you said about you know working on relationships. Mm -hmm. So this is a two part question, and we can start with the men. Or I guess with the women, 
Um, but Jared, what would you say that men need to hear from their wives? And then the second question is going to be, what would you say that women need to hear from their husbands? So I'm actually going to be talking about this in a sermon tomorrow, Sunday, depending on when this podcast okay. is released. Uh, that sermon will already have been preached. But I'm curious for you, from you, what 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 do you think men need to hear from their wives? Let's start okay. there. I've got serious answers, and I've got a tongue and cheek answer for both that I want to start with. <laughs> and and uh, let's start with the tongue and cheek, and then let's go to the okay, serious. The, the tongue and cheek answers I, I've really been using a lot with with Kenny because he and I have, have developed a fast friendship over these kinds of things. But the wife needs. You remember the YouTube video? It's not about the nail with a woman sitting there on the couch. She got the nail sticking <laughs> out of her head. The wife needs to tell her husband what the nail is. The husband needs to tell his wife that I want to know what's behind the nail and how it got there. Ooh. That's what living with your, nice. with your wife in an understanding way is all about. That, yeah. that for us, I see a problem. I got a hammer. You got a nail. Let's get this thing worked out. But to my wife, in fact, Mark Broyles, who I'm going to have, hopefully have on the podcast. I reached out to him, but he's been a little busy lately. Um, Mark, if you're listening, I still want you on Man Up to talk about relationships and sex and men and women. There you go, But Mark. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do that. <laughs> I'm shaming him. No, no. Mark, Mark knows yeah. but. But I got this from Mark Broyles, that, that men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti. We have men, we have our compartments. Mm. We, we've got a compartment for bills. We've got a compartment for work. We've got a compartment for kids. We've got a compartment for wife. We've got a compartment for life with wife. We've got a compartment for sex with wife. Women are like spaghetti. You ever tried to sort out a plate of spaghetti and, and just eat one noodle at a time? <laughs> You're going to be at that plate for a long time because every <laughs> noodle is connected to every other noodle in some kind of way. And women are like, yeah. and yeah. your wife is not going to compartmentalize the same way you do. I, I say that generically speaking. I mean, some, some women yeah. are better at compartmentalizing than guys are, but your husband probably doesn't understand how things are interconnected. And so what you're saying is men need to hear directly from their wives. This is what I need yes, from you. This is what you need to do better. This, this is, or this yes. is where I'm hurting. Or sometimes Lauren yes. is really good at coming up and saying, Hey, this is where I feel like I've fallen short in our relationship to you. I don't expect that ever, but she'll say, here's where I think I need to do better as a husband, a wife, a husband, as a wife um, and a mother and a spouse. And, mm. and okay. so that's, that's, yeah. yeah, that's one thing. Uh, what else do men need to hear from their wives? What else might you say? Men need affirmation. Most mm. of our affirmation. Yeah, that's in my yeah, too. Most of our yeah. affirmation comes from within, but there's a whole lot of criticism in there too. There's a whole lot of self doubt, mm. a whole lot of negativity. You know, I put on a smiling face and and act like my podcast is being heard by thousands of listeners, but I'll be ecstatic if a hundred people listen to it in the first week. And, yeah. but I still get on there every day or not every day, but every week. And I still get on biblically speaking every week. And I try to put out a product that is self-fulfilling and it's not really faking it till yeah. you make it. It's trying to become what you already know that it can be. But mm. if you're a wife and you are, and, and I'm not judging you, you're going to have to judge yourself, but you are contributing to his negative self-dialogue. He's going to tell you, I know. And honestly, ladies, if you want to fireproof your marriage, you need to know this because the the cute little thing at the office that's wearing the short skirt and the high pumps and is trying to turn his head and believe me, nothing, nothing convinces a woman that she can, that she can tempt a man like him wearing a wedding ring, mm. that she is going to be filling his head with all kinds of affirmations. And, and I said this to Kenny Embry the other day. I keep mentioning Kenny, but Kenny's such a great guy. That there are two kinds of couples that I've talked with who are in the middle of divorce. One is the couple that we think of, we fought all the time. We never saw eye to eye. The other is, we never fought. I didn't know what was going on. 
And the answer that I give to both of them is, if you want to fix this, you have to stop being selfish. If you don't know what's going on in your man's life, or if you don't know what's going on in your wife's life, you haven't asked. You don't get to write the narrative for two people. You mm. have got to be affirming what he's doing, but you also have to know what he's struggling with. Mm. Yeah, that's good. What do women need to hear from, from their husbands? It's more like what they don't need to hear, and that's criticism. That that women have a lot of negative self-talk too, but it's it's a lot of times about the things that we don't worry so much about. Like I don't, and, and I'm not saying these are vain, but I don't really worry about when our family doesn't look as put together as maybe they should. You know, if Will goes out in a pair of jogging pants that are red and a brown t-shirt with blue shoes, I don't care. We're going to the mall. Lauren does. Because women judge women in a way that men don't judge men. And men need to understand that there are things that are important to your wife that you won't understand. But they Mm. better become important to you because they are going to hinder her walk with God. And Mm. we need to treat them like they're spiritually equal. That, uh, you know, one of the things that is so frustrating to me is when... I hear about a group of women getting together for a Bible study and somebody will ask them what they're studying or they will suggest, oh, here's a book on women of the Bible. You know how many books have been written on women of the Bible? Hundreds, thousands of those workbooks and they're the same eight to 20 women. But what we don't do is we don't encourage our young ladies to sit down and study the Bible as a book. You know, women's studies can be based on books of the Bible, entire books, and not Ruth and Esther. I mean, they they can go study Genesis together, or Colossians, or Ephesians, or the Minor Prophets. And it doesn't have to all be geared toward being a subservient wife. It's about drawing closer to God. And we need to encourage them in that. We need to encourage them in their attempts to do that. And they don't need any kind of discouragement because the world will do a better job of that than we ever will. That Kenny was talking about this the mm. other day. He says, men report talk and women report talk. That men, you can talk a little trash. You, you, can, you can claim how good you are if you can back it up and nobody will, will, uh, will throw you down. And, and you can also claim how good you are if you're terrible and everybody knows you're terrible because everybody understands that you're just having fun at your own expense. And that's how we bond. A lot of times women women don't get to do that. If a woman rises above the station that the other women around her perceive her to be in, a lot of times what will happen is they will pull her down. And they'll they'll be gossip and they'll be backbiting. And so an attempt to better herself is going to be met with maybe some gossip, maybe some backbiting by everybody but those who are closest to her. You know, attempt to lose some weight and yeah. get in shape is going to be met with maybe maybe replies like, well, finally, it's about time. Oh, she's going to fail again. Rather than encouragement. Mm. Be her encouragement. The Mm. other thing I would would tell them is live the Song of Solomon, but don't quote the Song of Solomon. Don't tell your wife that her teeth look like (laughs) goats. I like that. Live the Song of Solomon, but don't quote the Song of Solomon. Well, Jared, this has been fantastic. Uh, I know you and I could talk for oh, hours. Uh, we've done it. Pl- we've done it plenty of times. I want to give you the last okay. thought uh, for today's show. Um, what do you want to leave people here with? Actually, before you answer that mm-hmm. question, um, where can people find you on social okay. media? Uh, where can people find you and your podcast? Well, I have a blog. It's uh, currently unattended for new articles. I need to get some new articles up on there. But I've had so many other irons in the fire. I'm working on a book for, for to get people on a man up mailing list. It'll also be sold, but but I'm writing a book called Man Up: Spiritual Lessons That We All Need. That, uh, yeah. but you can find me at jaredbolman.blog. I'm on YouTube, um, biblically speaking, and Man Up, or or biblically speaking, is on YouTube. And I'm really bad at naming things, Ben. So there's a lot of other biblically speaking's. Mine's the one with the green diamond that the corners are cut off. And I'm usually making some kind of dorky face in the picture. 
for the thumbnail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can find Man Up and Biblically Speaking uh, both on Facebook. Uh, Man Up is, it says 1 Corinthians 16, 13, uh, with a couple of orange chevrons yeah. behind it and Man Up above that. Uh, the podcasts are available on Anchor and Apple, um, Google Play, and most other podcast platforms by now that it's kind of proliferated okay. to really Google it and search for it. Because again, I'm terrible at naming things and there's lots of man ups and some of them aren't very good. I mean, the quality is good. The content is probably not something Christians need to be listening to. I'm sure the studio is great, but the, uh, <laughs> but, but put my name at the end of it and it'll come up. It's man, uh, man up two words, exclamation point. Uh, and then my name, Jared Bowman, and okay. it will pop up. Okay. Final thought for the audience. Final thought. You have to know what your spiritual potential is. No, nobody can tell you what you can become, but what you become spiritually is completely dependent upon the relationship you build with God. And what your children become in a lot of ways is going to be based on the relationship you build with God. And what your wife, your husband becomes is going to be based on the relationship you build with God. So make that the focus deep in that relationship don't give in to the negative self-talk and the discouragement. Just focus on how do I take the baby step today that brings me closer to what I ought to be? Because I know that God will meet me with grace and mercy. And if you're a yeah. guy, man up. <laughs> Perfect way to end. Jarrett, I love you, love brother. You, Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Anytime. Keep up the great work. And, uh, and we'll be talking to everyone who listened. Thank you for your support. Um, and uh, I'll see you later. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, Ben. I enjoyed it. All right. Take care. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. If you are in the need or are looking for more motivation in your life, feel free to check out my website, benjaminlee.blog where you can find hundreds of encouraging, motivational blog posts on a variety of subjects. You can find all of my books, which can also be found on Amazon.com and other podcast interviews with a variety of people. I hope this helps. Please leave me a rating and a review. I can do, and so can you. Take care, and God bless.